for the reading of God's Word. We are in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 24. If you could, uh, anyone needs a Bible, please raise uh, your hand. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand. Nice and tall, Yark. We have one here, and we have one on the other side. Matthew 11. We're continuing our study in Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This is Jesus speaking. Actually, we'll go back to verse 12, uh, if you will. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day." But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Your word says that uh, your word and indeed your, your nature uh, is kind. That sometimes, though, for our own good and because of your own holiness, it's severe. And Lord, we just pray that we would learn uh, this morning about uh, you, Lord, the kindness and severity of, of God. And, and, and most of all, Lord God, make us like David, people who are seeking after your heart, Lord. We want to be that people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. The last book of the Old Testament was written by the prophet Malachi. It was uh, written about 400 years before the events of the New Testament. And Malachi prophesied uh, about the coming of the Messiah, but he also prophesied about a man who would come before the Messiah and or immediately before and announce uh, the coming uh, of the Messiah and, and introduce him to the world. And that prophet was John the Baptist. John the Baptist had the amazing privilege of preparing the way for Jesus. Can you imagine that privilege? Of announcing his coming, of introducing him to the world. When Jesus approached 
John uh, the Baptist to be baptized. John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he introduced uh, Jesus, John did, uh, to the world. He also uh, baptized Jesus. And soon after he baptized Jesus, he confronted the king, King Herod, for marrying the wife, King Herod's, for marrying the wife of his brother, that is King uh, uh, Herod's brother. And, and King Herod got angry and he arrested John and threw him in prison. And uh, according uh, to Matthew 4, it wasn't until that point that Jesus began his ministry. It says that once Jesus heard that John was in prison, uh, then Jesus began his ministry. Over time, when John was in prison, he began to be discouraged. Now, that's not usually a word that we think of when we think of John. John was a holy man. He was uh, a great man. He was uh, a mighty man of God. Verse 11 there in Matthew uh, uh, 11 says that among uh, those born of woman, no one has risen greater than John. In other words, John was the greatest prophet. But he went on to say, Jesus went on to say, that he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, meaning that even the mightiest of men, including John, was conceived in sin uh, and was subject to the weakness and frailty of man. John was in prison, which 2,000 years ago probably meant solitary confinement, uh, darkness. Uh, They didn't have... uh, you know, prisoners' rights then. I'm sure he was ruthlessly treated. We actually know where the prison was. It was on the uh, southwestern tip of uh, the Dead Sea. Very hot. So he's in prison, and he gets discouraged, and doubts start to flood into his mind. And, And one of those doubts was this. Is Jesus really the Messiah? And that's why in chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, it says, And when John heard uh, in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And as we discussed last time we were in Matthew, John, like most Old Testament prophets, believed uh, when the Messiah came that he would bring judgment uh, to the earth, that he would destroy uh, the enemies of God, and he would bring an everlasting peace in Israel. Jesus will come that way the second time he comes. But the first time he came, the, the holiness of God, the justice of God required that all sin, all rebellion against God in the earth be brought under judgment. So Jesus came into the world the first time for the purpose of taking all that judgment upon himself. That's why Jesus came. He will come again. But anyway, uh, John, like Old Testament prophets, uh, thinking that the, uh, he was thinking that the Messiah was su- supposed to come and destroy uh, the enemies of Israel, mainly Rome, who oppressed uh, Israel. Uh, he's in prison. Meanwhile, he's getting visitors and, and who are reporting uh, to John what Jesus was doing. Uh, it, it says in, in verse 2 again, in, in chapter 11, it says, uh, they told him and reported he had heard about the works of Christ. And so uh, what were they reporting? reporting to John? Well, uh, John, Jesus is on a mountaintop, and he's teaching. 
blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Love your enemies. Pray for those who... Pray for those who, uh, uh, who spitefully use you and persecute you. And, and John's thinking, well, wait a second, that's not what I had in mind. And, and, and so he, try and imagine being John. He, he baptizes Jesus. He's thinking, wow, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to witness the Messiah being crowned king, uh, the defeat of the enemies of God, the glories of the Messianic kingdom. And he probably thought he would have a role in this kingdom. And, and the next thing he knows, he's being seized by uh, Herod's soldiers, bound, thrown into prison, uh, into a hot prison, and, and, and reports come back to him that Jesus is doing the opposite of what he thought he was going to do. Brothers and sisters, God may have you in a situation which is exactly the opposite of what you thought God was going to do in your life. And you're discouraged, you're confused, you're, you're, de- you're depressed, there are doubts flooding into your mind. Well, be encouraged. God's been doing this for 6,000 years. And and he did it with the mightiest of men, John the Baptist. And and he continues to do it with you and me. Why? It's his way of reminding us he's God. We're not. And, and, And we need to, he's doing it to remind us that we need to let go of our plans. We need to let go of our timing in particular and our desires and turn them over to him. So, Anyway, John in prison begins to doubt. Did I, he begins to think, did I baptize the wrong one? So his disciples asked Jesus in verse 3 of Matthew 11, uh, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus responds in verse 5 and, and he says, we'll report back to John what you have seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are, are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And John, like every other good Jew, knew these were the irrefutable signs uh, of the Messiah. And, and those words would comfort uh, John, that indeed Jesus was uh, the Messiah. But then as we talked about uh, the last time we were in Matthew, in verse 6, Jesus finishes off with a warning to John. He says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, John, I know you had some different ideas about who I am, what I would be doing, uh, what I'm supposed to, to do, but blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, don't be offended about what is going on. Don't fall away. Don't rebel. Don't go off and do your own thing. Trust in me. Blessed is he is who not offended uh, because of me, Jesus says. The Greek word for offended is the word scandalizo. It is used many times by Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, well, actually in the gospel and actually throughout the uh, New Testament in situations where someone falls away, someone turns away from God because their conception of walking with God clashes with their idea of God. And why does this happen? Well, most of the world has made God in their own image. They create a God based upon what they want God to be. 
They create a God that fits with their lifestyle and their habits, their sin, you know, what they want to do. And when they find out that God, uh, who God really is, they're offended and they reject Him. And that word scandalizo, which means scandalous, is scandalous, which is where we get our word, Greek word. It's like scandalized. Well, I can't do this. And, and they turn away uh, from God. Blessed are you. I'm speaking to you now. Blessed are you. If you embrace God and everything that he is, you will be blessed. That's a promise of the Bible. It's a promise you can cling to. Which brings us to the verses for today. Let's uh, actually start off there in uh, verses 12 through 15. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who uh, has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, verse 12 is a difficult verse for translators, and the verse is translated in two ways. An interesting thing about these two translations is that they actually they, they have the opposite meanings from one, one another. Sometimes we just need to give those things over to God. Uh, it, verse 12 here, it says, uh, the beginning of it, it says, uh, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. In, in other words, uh, that's what this translation says. In other words, people like John the Baptist are being seized and arrested, and violent people are trying to crush this new move of God. Now, most translations, instead of using the word, the kingdom of God suffers violence, translate it, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it lay hold of it. That's like the opposite meaning. It, it, what it, that means is that God is doing big things among his people on earth and people who are really serious about God are, are pursuing him. Now, that's not, that's not many because the, the narrow is road and few enter it, but the, the word actually means uh, it's the same kind of word used for Someone crowded a crowd crowding into a door, forcing its way into a door. They they have so much interest in getting in. It's like one of those Christmas sales we were talking about. You know, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, where there's these mammoth sales. These people line up at uh, six in the morning at Walmart. Why people would ever line up at six in the morning at Walmart? I do not know. But there's these gigantic crowds, and, and they have something that they really want, and they get they they pour in sometimes trampling on each other. Well, that's the same word here. I prefer that translation. That's the translation, actually, that most commentators actually think is, is the right one, but either one may be right. Then Jesus says in verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied to John, meaning all the prophets before John prophesied about Jesus, not being personally familiar uh, with Jesus, uh, but John, uh, he was at the end of the prophetic line, and when he prophesied about Jesus, Jesus showed up. And, and so John was sort of the end of the prophetic line. When, when he prophesied about Jesus, Je the prophecy was fulfilled. Then it goes on in verse 14, it says, and if you're willing to receive, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come? Well, in Malachi, again, remember Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, the prophet prophesied that there would be a prophet who would come on the scene and uh, introduce Jesus to the world. And Malachi said that person would be Elijah. And so what Jesus is saying here, look, if, you have, if you're willing to accept this, this is Elijah. What he was meaning was Elijah, he, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament represented prophets or the prophetic line. And, and, and so uh, what Jesus is saying here, he, he's saying that uh, you know, John is like the fulfillment of, of the prophetic line of uh, the Old Testament. In other words, he's coming um, as uh, Elijah. And so that's what Jesus means when he says uh, that if you're willing to receive it, in verse 14, John is Elijah who is to come. So there's these incredible prophetic events happening uh, in and around that time. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the next few verses, 16 through 24, are definitely grouped together, so I'm going to read them together. Verse 16, 16 Jesus says, But to what shall I liken this generation? Is, it is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man, referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children." Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Besida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Who? Wow. What is going on there? Well, Chorazin and Bethsaida, these cities Jesus talks about in verse 21, and Capernaum, which he talks about in 23, were three cities on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. That's where most of Jesus' ministry was done. Many of us, many people just assume that most of Jesus' ministry was in Jerusalem. Not the case. It says right there in verse 20, most of his mighty works were done in a place north of uh, Jerusalem. It was like if Jesus was in Maine and we're in Boston. I mean, it was, it was quite a ways away at that time. And uh, in, in fact, that's one of the reasons Jesus was rejected uh, in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem were kind of like Boston people. They were snobs, right? And, and, and they, they, they found out that, uh, uh, you know, here's this guy, he thinks he's the Messiah. He's from Nazareth, which is in northern uh, uh, Israel, and they said, what good, what pr pr prophet comes out of uh, Nazareth? And so uh, verse 20 says, uh, most, uh, if 
uh, not some, but most of his mighty works were uh, done in these uh, cities. Now, many of you here are familiar with the Bible. Some of you are kind of new to it. But if you just took a few minutes and thought of all the like, great miracles uh, that Jesus did, and, and you made a list... Uh, more likely than not, almost all those miracles would have been done right in and around these three cities, uh, the lepers that were cleansed. Uh, all the incredible things that happened in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, which we've just been through. The paralyzed were raised. The demon-possessed were exercised. And, and you know, the, Jesus, in the middle of a great storm, he rebukes the wind and waves, and immediately it says there was a great calm. That happened right there in these three cities that Jesus is rebuking in and around those three cities. And in Matthew nine thirty five, it says that Jesus went to all these cities and villages. It says that he, he was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. It's just this just outbreak of healing. Now, there are some people who believe that at that particular time, in, in that, those areas that Jesus was moving in, there was no sickness. You know, first time since Adam and Eve uh, fell. There was no sickness. Yet, what happened? They didn't turn to God. Remember our lesson last week, for those of you who were here. It, we studied about King Nebuchadnezzar in, in the Old Testament. And even after witnessing two tremendous miracles, what happened? He believed in God. But he didn't turn to God. Daniel chapter 2. He not only interpreted, Daniel not only interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he told Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was without being on notice of it. In chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and says, These guys are untouched by the fire, and I see a fourth. He looks like the Son of God. And, and they, you know, and they come out, and, and, and he's amazed. He marvels at, at the miracles. He believes in God, but he doesn't turn to God. Now, lest you think it is just kings living in palaces that this happens to, uh, that is, that see miracles of God, God works in their life, and they just forget, a, 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 you know, eventually forget about him and don't turn to him. Well, here in Matthew 11, here, here are three entire cities that refused to turn to God, and they saw many, many, many more miracles than Nebuchadnezzar. And they heard the most profound sermons ever preached on the face of the earth, earth in person by God, yet they didn't turn to God. It says in Matthew uh, eleven sixteen. what does it say? Jesus says, but what do I compare this generation to? It says, like children sitting in the marketplace and, 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 and calling to their companions, saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. What does that mean? Well, there were two kinds of social functions at that time. Weddings, and funerals. You know, today we have so much to compete for our interests. We have 
roller coasters and circuses and, you know, Chuck E. Cheese and, and, and bowling alleys, whatever. And they had weddings where people played the flute and people danced. And they had funerals where people mourned. And children, you know, I see my kids do this kind of thing all the time. They, they play in a house or whatever. They, they went to the marketplace and they played wedding. And they, you know, called on people to play the flute and, and to dance with them. And uh, they played funeral. And they asked people to come and mourn with them. And, and what happened? The people never responded. And, and Jesus is saying, you are like them, only it is God playing the flute and you're not coming to dance. And it's God mourning. He's mourning over your sin and you're not mourning over uh, your sin. And that's what Jesus is saying there. And, and you know, it's been said of these cities, these three cities, uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, it has been said of them, and listen to this. This is kind of scary. It, it, they didn't persecute Jesus. Very few criticized him in these cities. They didn't threaten his life. They didn't mock him. They didn't ridicule him. They didn't run him out of town. On the contrary, they respected him. They called him rabbi. They took their sick to him. They went to hear him teach. It even says that when they heard him teach, they were astonished and said, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they don't teach like this. It says that they would see his miracles and be amazed, saying, who ever heard of this kind of authority being given to man? (laughs) But what happened? For all of that, verse 20 says, they refused to repent, meaning they refused to have a change of heart towards God. And I, I, I tell you what happened. It's chapter 11, verse 6 all over again. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me after initially marveling over Jesus and his miracles and his teaching, after getting over the initial glow when they first found out who Jesus really was, God. And following him meant giving their lives to him. They were offended. They were scandalized. And they turned away. John chapter 6 actually chronicles this whole thing. Why don't you turn there with me? Uh, Just a couple books to the right. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, which is, again, he's right up there in the Sea of Galilee. Verse 1 says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So again, this is their initial reaction. They're marveling. Wow! And they're following him. And then skip all the way down to verse 33. He starts teaching to these people. They actually follow him across the lake. They're so interested in him. And, and they say, and Jesus teaches them. And, and, and what happens? They had just, um, they had just been fed uh, miraculously uh, by him. And, and they, they're asking him, hey, give us some more food. And in verse 33, Jesus says, listen to this. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In verse 34, it says, The multitude said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. 
verse 35 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now go down to verse 41. It says, Then the Jews complained about him. These are the people that are following him, or who marveled over him. Because, it says, The Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread of heaven which came down from heaven. Now skip down to verse 50. Uh, Verse 53, it says that Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he taught in the synagogue as he taught in in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Same word. Does this offend you? And then it says in verse 66, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Again, they, were, they, they, they followed him. They saw what he did. They were impressed by his teaching. Uh, it, you know, it, it, and they, they started off, you know, we really like this guy, Jesus. I mean, he feeds us. He, he turns a few fish into, uh, and loaves into a feast. Uh, and we get to see him do miracles. We hang out with our friends. And, and they say he's the Messiah. But then as they got to know him, what happened? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. You mean we have to sort of give this guy control over our life? You, you, you mean we can't have control of our life anymore? We can't just do absolutely anything we want whenever we want? They were offended at that. And it says in John 6.66 that they turned away. Now back to Matthew 11. One of the things that surprises many people is that one of the things that people are most offended by in Jesus is grace. I would go so far as to say grace is the one thing that offends people more than anything else. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 19 of chapter 11. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And these are religious people speaking here. These are religious people. You know, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, these were religious cities, Jewish cities. You can travel to Capernaum today and see the ruins of a, of a great synagogue. And, and, 
there were, actually it says down there about Capernaum in verse 23, it says, Capernaum, who, you who are exalted to heaven, meaning they thought they were like the heavenly city. Uh, they, they, these are, so these are religious people uh, talking uh, to uh, uh, Jesus here, at saying this, this son of man, uh, he's eating and drinking uh, with, uh, with gluttons and wine bibbers. You see, what happened is that when Jesus came on the scene, they recognized his teaching was profound. His miracles were amazing. His character was flawless. And, and they even started to think, you know, maybe, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the Messiah. M- maybe the wait is over. But then a real strange thing happened. A real strange thing. This, this Messiah began to receive sinners. And, and they're observing all of this. They're watching. He, he began to observe. They began to observe that he, he received sinners. Not only uh, sinners, not just ordinary ones, notorious ones, gluttons, people who stuffed themselves to the point of being sick with the poor right in the, their midst, just longing for a, uh, uh, you know, a, a crumb off their table. Gluttony was always, uh, then, it, it, as it still is, it's looked in the backdrop of people who, who may be starving right around people. Wine bibbers, people making a life off of getting drunk. Tax collectors, it's, it's like the modern-day child molester. You know, child molesters go to prison today, and the prisoners are so appalled at their crime, they kill these guys. And well, tax collector was the equivalent then. They had betrayed, these are tax collectors, Jews, who had betrayed Jews. And, and Jesus was receiving these people and saying things like Matthew 11, verse 28, which says what? Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And they're thinking, this guy is receiving all? Everyone? And, and, and he's giving them rest? They don't deserve rest. They deserve torment. They deserve the fire of hell. They deserve to have restless, anxious, heavy-laden, burdened souls forever. They don't deserve rest. They, they, need, they deserve to reap what they've sown. And they were offended. They were offended at grace. Capernaum, that, we're talking about these three cities, Capernaum, Corazine, Bethsaida, and so their hearts turned away. So God played the flute. They didn't dance. He mourned over them. They didn't mourn in return. So Jesus is pronouncing woes over these cities. In verse 21, he says, Woe to you, Corazine. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And then he goes, in verse 23, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Speaking of being offended, they had to have been offended at this. Tyre and Sidon and Sodom were Gentile, pagan, non-Jewish cities. And these, these cities had become a byword amongst the Jewish prophets for everything that was wicked and evil. I, I, I mean, five Jewish prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, and Zechariah, denounced Tyre. In Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, Ezekiel even goes so far as to describe the king of Tyre as a type of, of, of Satan. 
In Ezekiel 28, there's a picture of Satan falling from heaven, and the king of Tyre is, is playing the part. And Sodom was equally as bad. In Sodom, two angels came to visit the city, and all the men of the city gathered around the house they were in and cried out to, to, to rape them. And, and when the angels struck them blind, it, it says in uh, Genesis 19, they kept on moving forward to try to satisfy their lust. That is depravity. God judged Sodom. He, he, he destroyed it with, with uh, sulfur and salt from heaven. You can go there to this day and find the chemicals in the soil that God used to destroy Sodom. Judgment is real. And that's what happened to Sodom. And, and Jesus is saying here, he's saying, Capernaum, you know, all, you've seen uh, the most mighty works of G, uh, uh, that I've done. You've witnessed my teaching firsthand. And you, you've witnessed my life and you've turned away on the judgment day. It'll be better for Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom than you. And so what is the principle here? Uh, it's actually, it's in Luke 12, 47. To whom much is given, much is expected. Those are Jesus' words. These people knew God's word. God worked in their lives. They saw the miracles in Jesus' character, yet they turned away. Brothers and sisters, I beg you, don't despise the work of God in your life. Meaning, don't turn your back on what God has obviously done in your life. God has worked in a wonderful way in your life over and over and over again. Don't go off and just do your own thing. Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is the person who doesn't go off and do their own thing. Just because there's something about following Jesus that they found out they didn't like, don't do that. The tragedy of people turning away from Jesus, I mean, the real tragedy is, is that Jesus, really, when all is said and done, is the least offensive person who ever lived. Following him is the least offensive thing in the entire world. The only thing that gets offended is our sinful, corrupt nature, our self-centered nature. That's the only thing that ever gets uh, offended. Uh, the, the, the Spirit of God, the regenerated Spirit in us, uh, thinks it's the most wonderful thing in the world. Listen. Jesus loves you as if you are the only person in the world. That's how much he loves you. That's a biblical, working biblical definition of how God loves you. Look at verse 19. It says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Did you ever pause to think what that really means? You know, I, I heard a sermon in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews this week, chapter 12, verse 2, and, and that verse says this. It says... It, it's, it's the Holy Spirit teaching some people, some Jewish people, and it's telling them, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy, the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. What does that mean? The joy set before him. How can anyone have joy knowing they were about to be tortured, mocked, spit upon, nailed to the cross, and slowly bleed to death or suffocate, however it is that, that, that Jesus died? I will, tell you, uh, I will tell you that the joy was this. The joy was that in doing that, he was saving you. Now, there's a part of that I, I can relate to. If my five children were all condemned to death, they were all condemned to death. And I struck a bargain with their accusers that I would die instead of them. I would approach dying with a certain joy, knowing, because I love my children so much, knowing that they would be rescued from death and would be living in freedom, even though I was dying. I can relate to doing that for my children. What I can't relate to is doing that for someone who hated me. That's what Jesus did. He died in our place. The Bible says even when we hated him. The Bible says that prior to giving our life to God, we, we, we're an enemy of God because we, we, we live our life resisting God, resisting the Holy Spirit uh, in complete opposition to God and, and His Word. The, the Bible says that God demonstrated His love for us. In other words, He was a friend of sinners so much that when we were yet enemies of God, He died for us. And He did it with joy. That is what it means to be a friend of sinners. That is grace. That is why the consequences, as we read in Matthew eleven twenty through 24, of rejecting grace are so severe. They are. God has done a marvelous work of grace. Please, don't turn away from that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the marvelous working of grace, Lord that you worked when you sent your son into the world, Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for just the marvelous working of grace. It, when you, with joy you went to the cross, even as, even as we were rebelling, even as man was hating the things of God, resisting you, killing you. With joy, you went to the cross. God, we, we just thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus. I pray this for myself too, Lord, for all of us, Lord, that that working would not be in vain, that we would not turn away, that, that we'd recognize that anything that, is, that causes us offense, anything that we get offended in, is not our spiritual nature. It's our, it's our old nature, the sin man, the sinful nature, the human nature, the, the part of the human nature that will be done away with, Lord God, when, when we are renewed 
And Father, I just pray, Lord God, just that this sobering message will just be absorbed into our hearts, Lord, that we would be doers, doers of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. You are dismissed.